We're at the second week of Advent. Last week, Mother McNeil was the preacher and talked about Advent as a season of new beginnings. So I'm going to use that as a segue into what I want to speak about, which is the origin of the seasons of the church year, particularly Advent, to say something about our patron Luke, whose gospel is the main gospel that is read during the sea cycle of the Eucharistic readings on Sundays, and then to to preach about all three readings briefly from Baruch. I don't often get to preach from Baruch. We're not speaking here of Bernard Baruch, you know. Mr. Baruch, how can I make money in the stock market Buy low and sell high. But Baruch, in ancient of days, Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he's writing to one of his favorite and most beloved congregations. And finally, in Luke's Gospel, where we're introduced, as I say every year, to John, don't sing jingle bells to me, the Baptist. (laughs) We'll talk about what that might mean. Uh, As I mentioned, usually at the beginning of the Christian year, which Advent is, uh, I always say that after Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven, the apostles and the disciples did not immediately walk down to St. Luke's downtown Jerusalem and begin services from the Book of Common Prayer. The liturgical year went through uh, a process of evolution, and... uh, Just so you know, you can amaze your friends. There are two cycles in the Christian year. There is Lent, Easter, Pentecost. And cycle two is Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. So at the beginning of the Christian year, we're actually taking up one of the later uh, developments in the Christian year. By the 6th century AD, all throughout Europe, Now we have a celebration of a season of Advent, a season that leads up to Christmas and the celebration of the Feast of the Incarnation. In Northern Europe, the feast was six, or the the season was six weeks long. It began after November the 14th, which is the Feast of St. Martin of Tours, and so it was called St. Martin's Lent because it was a season of preparation that in terms of its customs and uh, the urgings of the clergy and others, uh, a severity of an austerity like Lent. In the southern part of Europe, in Italy and the Mediterranean countries, Advent was four weeks long. And the celebration was somewhat less penitential and focused uh, on some of the ancient aspects of the beginning of Advent, which was the joyful expectancy, which now has once again become more central in our celebration of Advent. And by the time of Charlemagne in the 8th century, we now have a season of Advent that has been shortened throughout Europe to four weeks, and the tincture of penitential uh, celebration is lessened slightly. So that's sort of the Advent that we have these days. The color that we use for Advent blue is sometimes called the English use, but in fact, by the time of the English Reformation, 
and before this color was used throughout Northern Europe. So in Germany and in France and in Belgium and all those countries, Holland, this was the color uh, for Advent. It's as you move south, you get violet as the color. So we have continued that ancient use of blue. And this, the Advent wreath, we get from the Lutherans in Germany. I suspect there were precursors to this in the celebration, but Luther was fond of this, and uh, Episcopalians have taken it over for a long, long time. So it's always nice to have the Advent wreath here. We also sing some of the finest hymns in the hymnal during Advent, and as Betty Ann Oven reminded me the, uh, last week, that there are, many of them are good Lutheran hymns, and we got them from, you know, uh, Prince Albert. Prince Albert was the one who introduced a lot of those hymns into the practice of the English church. So we have him to thank for those good hymns. Advent is a season of new beginnings. It is a season of joyful expectancy. And the themes in the readings that we heard today have to do with themes like return from exile, uh, recovery from alienation and a sense of lostness, the potential for a new future where we begin to understand more fully and clearly God's purposes for us as we move forward. So Advent is a season of past, present, and future. And it's about this theme of the return from exile. I'm going to speak about this because Jesus is at pains to speak about this theme in his preaching and teaching. So let's take Baruch and a little explanation. Baruch is part of a uh, section of literature in the, our Bible that we call the Apocrypha. And Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, and Eastern Orthodox Christians read from these books. In, the Roman, in a Roman Catholic Bible, they are interlarded in between the other books of the Old Testament. And the same is true for the Orthodox. And in our tradition, we keep them as a separate set of books. So let me just explain some things to you about this. These are books that were written in Greek. They are not written in Hebrew. They were read and used by Jews in the diaspora. And when we speak about the diaspora, we mean Jews who f went away from Jerusalem during the Babylonian exile in the 500s B.C., and so that's Diaspora One. And some literature emerges from this period that was written in Greek because the Jews that went into the Diaspora didn't know how to speak Hebrew anymore. And so they wrote in Greek and they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And we possess them. They're called the Septuagint. And these books are included in the Septuagint. So we fast forward to the second diaspora in 70 A.D. And in 70 A.D., the Roman government, the empire came into Jerusalem and burned the city down and wrecked the temple and everybody ran away. And so the Jews are now out in the second diaspora. So the Christians by then have come. Jesus, his earthly ministry concluded with his death, resurrection, and ascension in 33 AD. 
And we now begin to get faithful Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they worship together using their sacred literature. And so they're using their sacred literature from the Jerusalem precincts, which is in Hebrew. And the Jews in the diaspora who are in Christian synagogues are using the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scriptures. So by 90 AD, there were Christians around, you know, the Gospels had been written for the most part except John. And they were beginning to show up in the synagogue liturgy, as were the letters of Paul, which were written in the 40s and the 50s. So the rabbis said, you know what, we've got to get together and we've got to make some decisions about what we call our sacred literature. And so in 90 AD, they met and they said, here's what the books are that we consider to be sacred. And they were the Hebrew scriptures, not the Greek Jewish scriptures, nor the Christian scriptures. Christians continued to use the Greek Jewish scriptures in their sacred literature, but not the Hebrew. When we fast forward to the 16th century and Martin Luther and the Reformers, Luther says, I do not want those Greek scriptures in the Bible. I want the Hebrew scriptures only. And so we're back to the rabbis at the Council of Jamnia in 90 in the Protestant Bibles. Baruch is from those Greek scriptures. Baruch is Jeremiah's secretary. He's his amanuensis. He dictated Jeremiah's prophecies. And so this book, you would think, dates from about 560 B.C. But in fact, Baruch dates about 200. And why is that important? It's important because the theme of the reading we read today is about the return from exile. It's about God's restorative purposes at work in the lives of people and in communities. It's about the possibility that all people can have a hopeful future. It is about awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And so in this book, 200 years before Jesus, we read about the yearnings and the hopes of the Jewish people who have returned from the diaspora. So it sets us up now for thinking about, well, Advent is a time when we can have a joyful expectancy about God's purposes being worked out in the world, that for some reason God wants us to be part of this process of restoration and renewal, and how do we understand it manifesting itself in our common life together? So the next thing we read in today's lections uh, is a reading from Philippians. This is, if I've said to you that the Corinthian church was on the bleeding edge of the dysfunctional church movement, the Philippian church is a dream for Paul. It is an extremely faithful congregation. It's a congregation that is generous. It's a congregation that realizes the need to reach out beyond itself. Paul has been laboring for a long time, and we read in his correspondence his desire to take up a collection for Jerusalem, for the Jerusalem church. He'd met with the apostles in the council in Jerusalem, and he wishes now to take them an offering. And so he has been at pains to collect it. The Philippian church was one of the most generous and one of the most faithful. 
They exercise perhaps uh, the best stewardship in this context. And Paul is writing them today to thank them for that generosity and to show them and demonstrate by virtue of what is occurring within that community now, the fruits of that kind of generosity. And that somehow, coupled with joyful expectancy, coupled with the possibility now that we have a part in God's plan, we also find the ways and the means to prosper. So Paul gives us encouragement for this uh, as we move forward. In the C cycle of readings, the main gospel that we read is from Luke. And St. Luke is our patron, and it's a privilege to be the rector of a parish that is dedicated to St. Luke because he is the one that gives us an extremely full understanding of the importance of human history in God's purposes and how God, uh, Anne Louise Hayo said at the sermon discussion uh, earlier today that uh, Luke is the great one for the situation on the ground. He's the one who gives us the, the picture of uh, how it is. And he introduces us today to a very important figure in what he would call the history of salvation. Luke is the gospel writer of all, all of them more than any other who believes that it is part of God's plan that the church come into being. So the book of Acts is his volume two, and it describes now uh, the beginnings of the early church uh, in the ancient Near East and its importance. So we're introduced today uh, to John the Baptist. Let me stop for a moment and say, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've been reading a book by Bishop N.T. Wright, the former Bishop of Durham in England, and it's called How God Became a King. And it's a story about the importance and centrality of the gospel witness in our understanding of what it means when we use the terminology, the kingdom of God. And he reminds the reader that for a number of centuries, certainly since the 16th century, this is how we have read the Bible. We read the Bible as we are now and should because it's the season about we start with the incarnation. God becoming a human being. Jesus being born. God entering human flesh. The affirmation that if God were a human being and walking around, this is who he would be like. So we start with the incarnation, and then we go like this, fast forward to his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension. Well, as N.T. Wright would say, what about the bits in the middle? Right? What's in the middle of the gospel? All the gospels. It's the teaching of Jesus. How we're supposed to live. What does it mean when we speak about the kingdom? How do we understand the kingdom? And all too often, what we've said to ourselves is, well, it's somewhere else, and so we're here to prepare to go there. And if you read the middle bits, you're going to discover that here is where the kingdom is. And in the words and works of Jesus, he is demonstrating, by virtue of that, how we do that here. 
So he is introduced today by John the Baptist, who is causing a great deal of trouble in the Jerusalem precincts because he is preaching repentance and baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. So when we stop to think about that, also in the traditional preaching of the church or many churches, the forgiveness of sins usually locates itself in the pelvic issues, as we used to say in seminary. Right? Sin. Right? Or as Father Urban Holmes used to say, the warm sin. But John the Baptist is is preaching and teaching about the public situation on the ground. The lock that the religious leadership in Jerusalem has on the temple worship. The domination by the Pax Romana, the Roman imperial system. And that this process of restoration and return from exile is not going to be completed until we hear from the Savior of the world and we understand the need to be participants in the transformation of the society that we're in. And so John the Baptist is speaking today about the necessity of God's purposes operating in a metaphoric sense that flattens the hills, fills the valleys, makes the path straight. Someone said in the sermon discussion at nine that, you know what, if you go over to Jerusalem today and, and, and its precincts, you will discover a lot of this, a lot of rocky up and down. So the idea of somebody saying, this is going to be flattened, we're going to find an easier path to get to God's purposes for us, that would be welcome, wouldn't it? And that's what John the Baptist is speaking about. For Luke, John the Baptist represents the culmination of all Old Testament prophecies. He brings it up into himself and completes that prophetic voice and now prepares the way for the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus. And so Advent 2 is about that prospect. This week, give thanks for the opportunity to be part of God's reconciling, restorative work, that all of us in our lives have had periods where we have returned from exile, whether it's self-imposed by virtue of our internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states, or whether or not it has been part of community circumstances in which we found ourselves and needed to come together as a group of people to understand how we move into some return from this bondage, some return from this being a slave to either ideas or practices that are not healthy for us or anybody else. And those are the kinds of things that John the Baptist is speaking and preaching about today. You are part of that. All of us are part of that. God needs us for this work. Don't think about this only in heroic terms. Think about this in quotidian terms, everyday stuff, and how you might begin to understand how you become an instrument of God's reconciling work in the world. The season of Advent is about that and about the knowledge that we can, in fact, be part of that. And that may turn out at the end, after the four weeks, to be the best Christmas present that we get. Amen. Amen.